listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. Hello, everyone, and welcome to another episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. My name is Clark Rockfall, the Director of Advocacy and Governmental Affairs at the American Council of the Blind. And today I'm joined by my co-host. I am Swatha Nandakumar, ACB's Advocacy Network Specialist. And thank you to everyone uh, listening, streaming, downloading via your favorite podcast player, as well as everyone listening over the ACB Media Network. And for those listening on the ACB Media Network, if you want to listen to previous episodes of the Advocacy Update, again, just either go to the acbmedia.org and search under podcasts. You can use the updated ACB Link smartphone app and click the tab for podcasts, or in your favorite podcast player, search for ACB Advocacy Update, and you can find all the episodes going back several years. If you have any questions uh, or would like to learn more about the American Council of the Blind, please visit our website, acb.org. And Swatha, if folks want to learn more about the convention, in addition to visiting acbconvention.org, what are some important things to know about the 2023 annual conference and convention? So registration registration, closes um, on Friday, June 16th. This Um, Friday. Don't delay. Act now. (laughs) Right. This Friday. Yeah, this Friday. That's soon. Um. And the room block is still been right, Clark? That is a great question for our convention coordinator. Um, you know, the, the room block was slated to close on June 8th. Uh, it, it has remained open. So if you have not uh, got your room at the Renaissance Hotel Convention Center in Schaumburg, Illinois, keep your toes and fingers crossed. Uh, contact Janet Dickelman, contact the um, the Renaissance Hotel, and it may not be too late, but uh, no promises on the room block. Yep. So join us in Schaumburg or virtually if you are so inclined. That's right. Virtually convention starts June 19th in person and hybrid from Schaumburg, Illinois. The convention will run July First through sixth. So please join us, uh, register, and join the fun. Yep, excited. All righty. So jumping in today's, um, since we're all flying Schomburg, um, most of us are jumping into today's podcast. Um, we we talking with um, Heather Ansley, who is the associate executive director for government relations at. Paralyzed, paralyzed Veterans of America. Um, hey, how are you? I'm doing well, Swatha. Thank you for having me on today. Great. And Heather, is this your first time on the Advocacy Update? I want to say we've had you on here before. I believe, Clark, that I have been on in the past. Uh, I believe it, it may have even been to talk about um, accessible air travel. Quite possibly. Well, Heather, for those who are either new to the advocacy update or have not heard of Paralyzed Veterans of America before, will you please tell folks a little bit about PVA? Certainly. So Paralyzed Veterans of America is a uh, nonprofit veterans organization. We were chartered uh, by the United States Congress 
um, and have been in existence uh, now for over 75 years. Our members are uh, veterans who have spinal cord injuries um, or disorders such as uh, MS or ALS. And we are uh, fully led by our members, um, our board, our leadership, both elected and our professional staff um, leadership are all members of our organization. And Heather, what is your role at PVA? I know Swatha gave your, your title, um, but what does that mean? So I direct the government relations work um, that we do here at PVA, and we have two different shops. We have one that focuses on our members um, as veterans. So as you might expect, we work a lot with uh, the House and Senate Veterans Affairs Committees, the Department of Veterans Affairs. And then we have another uh, group uh, that we call our advocacy team, and that's where we focus on issues that impact our members you know, as people uh, with disabilities. And uh, in there, we really, um, for most of our history, have focused strongly on uh, the civil rights of our members, because it's great if you can get your supports and services from the VA, but if the if your uh, communities um, are uh, not accessible, then um, you really can't be um, as independent and uh, live your life the way you want to. So PVA understood that early, and I knew that we had to fight for the civil rights of our members. And in addition to that work uh, within and on behalf of PVA and your members, you're also involved in collaboration with the uh, the broader disability community, as well as uh, the the federal government and industry when it as it relates to uh, air travel. Correct. So you have the um, the air carrier. Access Act Working Group that you host with the disability community. And then you're also part of the uh, Air Carrier Access Act Advisory Committee through the Federal Aviation Administration and the Office of Aviation Consumer Protection. Did I get that right? So, uh, yeah, the the, um, ACAA Advisory Committee is through actually the Secretary's Office at Department of Transportation. Um, My appointment has expired, as have all of our appointments, but um, I was on the inaugural committee. um, And as you mentioned, PBA does uh, work extensively within the broader disability community through our uh, working group. And uh, we, we know that we are stronger together. And so we have really tried to work with other uh, disability groups representing, you know, of the, the full spectrum of the community of people with disabilities, uh, because we all know as it relates to air travel, um, that's where air travel doesn't discriminate, is that everybody pretty much with the disability has some facet, it seems like, um, in air travel that causes uh, causes an issue. So um, on, on such air travel, um, we, PVA, ACB, and all of kind of most of the disability groups in um, that we're with um, have been following the um, Federal Aviation Administration's reauthorization process um, in the House and Senate. Um, so briefly, what is FAA reauthorization and why is it important for us? So every uh, so the, the Federal uh, Aviation Administration, the FAA, um, does have to be reauthorized by Congress on a regular basis. Um, what it does is it it gives the policy um, and the authorization uh, for air travel in the U.S. and uh, 
you know, it's it's it, if it's authorized, the planes can keep flying. So um, it, it's important that it continue um, that the authorization continue to stay active. And uh, you know, it why it's been important to the disability community is it's really uh, the the main opportunity that we have when this comes before Congress to make changes that impact uh, passengers. Um, you know, you know whether that's passengers with disabilities or just. You, you know, just the, the typical traveler. And so in recent years, it's been the way that we've been able to go to Congress and say, you know, these are the areas that are not working. We need um, you to either, you know, make a change in statute or direct the Department of Transportation uh, to make some kind of change uh, that is uh, that is going to be helpful for passengers with disabilities. And the current authorization uh, was uh, put in place in September of 2018. It was a five-year authorization. Uh, so that's why uh, 2023 um, is so important uh, because this is uh, we're coming up on the end of the current authorization. Thanks, Heather. And as a uh, as a reauthorization occurs, there are there are several outcomes here, right? You, so you touched on if the reauthorization uh, for the Federal Aviation Administration or FAA does not occur, then planes stop flying. Is right. that is that yeah. accurate? Like no no yeah, air traffic controllers. Yeah. Yeah, all of that mechanism of the air travel experience. And so this is one of those authorizations that um, they will, if they don't get the full reauthorization done, they'll do an extension uh, mm -hmm. of the current authorization. So um, kind of like folks might be used to in the appropriations process, too often they, they don't get those bills done in time. And Congress has to have what they call a continuing resolution to keep the government funded. So sometimes they've had to do um, an extension of the current authorization of the FAA to keep keep the process moving forward. Um, and that's what happened actually in the years before the 2018 reauthorization. Um, but we're hopeful that that will not happen this year. Yes. And, and folks might remember, uh, as Heather was mentioning, an, an extension of the existing authorization or continuing resolution. We had something similar a few years ago with the surface transportation reauthorization. There is a, a continuing resolution and the Surface Transportation Act was just extended. Uh, but then uh, we had the Infrastructure and Jobs Act, which is where I believe the, uh, the reauthorization for the Surface Transportation Act occurred. And that provided new funding, new policies, uh, new avenues for accessibility to be included in our surface transportation programs and infrastructure. And Swatha, that kind of gets to your next question about uh, why this is important for, for us, right? Yeah, so um, what makes or why is it a good opportunity for us to, to improve access for, for passengers with disabilities? Um, you mentioned that this air travel is one place where it doesn't discriminate on disability. Like we all have issues with, with, with some, some issues somewhere. So why is the wise opportunity to improve, to improve that experience for us? So many times, uh, you know, Congress is, is focused on, you know, what has to be done. And that seems to be the thing that comes up uh, where they're going to take some type of action. 
So the only time um, each year where they're required to do something uh, on aviation is when it comes to the, the reauthorization of the FAA. So uh, just like, yeah, you know, we, we kind of have to have a crisis point a lot of times before action happens. That's almost what takes place um, when we come to this point, um, you know, at the end of a reauthorization is it's that moment when everybody gets in the room and decides, OK, everything we need about air travel, we're going to dump in this bucket. And there may be things that pass, you know, in the in the interim years, you know, if there's something that they need to deal with related to aviation. Uh, but a lot of times, um, you know, the main your main opportunity to get something done is when they're reauthorizing that FAA. So you need to be prepared and ready to go um, and advocate uh, because once that window closes, it's it's pretty hard to get through until we come to this time again, uh, you know, in the coming years. Okay, so it's a good opportunity for us for like it's good a window for us to um advocate and get get our get, get our provisions in the bills. Um, so that note, what um are what is PBA looking looking at or advocating on this this real? So there's a lot of different provisions that we've been working on, um, you know, that most uh, for, you know, for PBA's membership, uh, you know, just the issues that um, people who use wheelchairs um, face in air travel is just something that um, is very, very difficult. And, uh, you know, we've had members that have been injured um, in the process of trying to board and deplane the aircraft you know, their wheelchairs have been uh, damaged and lost. And uh, so we've really focused on a lot of efforts um, as it relates to improving uh, training for the individuals that assist them um, in that process of getting on and off the aircraft, loading their assistive devices. Uh, but we've also been focused on how can we improve the complaint process and also how can we really change the future in terms of you know, what does air travel look like going forward such that, um, you know, how can we work toward the ultimate goal of people being able to board an aircraft in their wheelchair, stay in their wheelchair and be able to fly? Um, or if they choose to transfer to a passenger seat, but not have to get on the aisle chair, you know, be able to take their personal chair to get to that seat, um, likely at the front of an aircraft or near a boarding door uh, to be able to do that. So. We, we've really tried to, to put our emphasis there. We've also worked with the broader community um, on issues related to uh, communications issues uh, for people who are, are um, blind or low vision or deaf or hard of hearing, um, issues in interacting um, with uh, websites um, and other types of communication, you know, for PBA members who might have limited dexterity, um, you know, they're interacting uh, with the websites, uh, you, you know, by voice. And so we want to make sure that, um, you know, we, we care to, you know, about those being accessible. Uh, we've also done some work on service animals and, and just I know the issues um, that a lot of folks have faced with the documentation requirements that now exist. So there, there's a lot of different buckets uh, that we've been looking at, uh, but those are some of the bigger ones. 
And Heather, you are teeing stuff up nicely. It's almost like we had a plan for this podcast, Um, certainly when it comes to effective communications, accessible websites and mobile applications, uh, regulations and requirements for service animal handlers. Uh, That's just red meat for our listeners. But I want to back up a little bit. Um, You were talking about uh, the, the policies that impact uh, passengers who are wheelchair users. And I'm, I'm going to put you on the spot here. Um, hopefully you can pull this number out. Uh, it was part of the ACAA advisory committee reporting. But do you recall the number of wheelchairs, personal wheelchairs um, that have been damaged? I believe it was in the past year from air travel. Uh, you know, off the top of my head, I can actually give you the number uh, more of what's happened since DOT started keeping track of wheelchair and scooter, what they call mishandling, which means lost, damaged, um, or delayed. And in that time, so between the, so for the years 2019 through 2022, so for three full years, or remember was that four, the COVID years, mm-hmm. um, we had over 32,000 wheelchairs and scooters um, that were either damaged, delayed, or lost by the airlines. So, of course, 2019 was before COVID. 2020, a lot fewer people were flying. 21, the same. 22 was, you know, more people were in the air. So if you look at it in that time period and the fact that there were fewer people traveling than maybe you might have expected because of the pandemic, we still had over 32,000 Um, wheelchairs and scooters and that were mishandled. And we know that that is that is not even representative of the number of people who actually had damage, Um, because I can just say from PVA members perspectives, you know, for instance, if you're traveling to our convention, we have what we call a wheelchair medic um, who is there on staff on site. Um, And they're able to do, um, you know, some repairs for people and, you know, assist them. And so sometimes people will just say, oh, I can get to the the hotel and I'll go have them help me and get get my stuff fixed. Mm -hmm. So we would say that the 32,000 number is is actually uh, not even fully representative of the real issue. Mm. Yeah. And and that's wild to think about. I mean, um, we're talking about uh, assistive technology here, right? So, I mean, imagine or assistive devices. So imagine for our members that 32,000 folks, when boarding a plane, um, your cane was broken or your service dog was lost. Exactly. That is, that is unconscionable to even think about 32,000 in two years that where folks weren't even flying that much. So I imagine those, well, I hope that those numbers aren't going up as more people are are flying, and I'm glad that greater attention is being paid to this, both by the Department of Transportation as well as within Congress. Yes, we we are too. Yeah. So, Swatha, uh, Heather touched on some items that are relevant to our ACB members, and I and I will pause and say um, the the provisions for those who use mobility devices, wheelchairs, and otherwise, uh, those are relevant to ACB as well, because many of our members are older or they have multiple disabilities. 
Um, so it, again, a big thank you to PVA for leading the charge on the work to include uh, provisions for uh, accessible mobility devices in air travel. Uh, Swatha, specific to blindness, low vision, uh, deafblind, kind of the core of the ACB mission, what are some items that uh, our folks really want to know about and care about that are part of this FAA reauthorization process? Yeah, so Heather brought up um, complaints and filing complaints. Um, we really are focused here on ACB um, and the um, current draft language um, on both sides and prior to the accessibility of um, the complaint process. So, like, our members will have who um, might like, have issues with, I mean, assistance, assistance at the gate or um, have issues with, with, with the, 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 addition, the service dog forms, um, they might need to file a complaint, but um, the, the process has, has not been accessible. Um, so what this, um, we hope like this free all of them right now really will kind of make the process accessible. Um, and let's say, let's say the website to file complaints is accessible or um, the um, the process by which um, DNC um, files private reports or um, collects data on that um, has has been more accessible as well. Um, so we really are focused on um, that like data and um, on making the process easier for our members as well. Um, who screen readers who might need assistive use assistive technology like. Um, we also focused uh, a lot on um, a website app app accessibility. So uh, we can airlines um, maintain and um, how it's accessible sites and um, website or app application applications applications. Um, so making sure that they do com- comply with um, like the web content. Accessibility guidelines are making sure that um, they are usable by people with disabilities, um, especially um, screen reader users. Um, I've, we've heard a lot from members that airlines might not have accessible um, booking process or accessible way to um, find out flight info like gate change or um, delays like easily. Um, so this like. So we want that included. Um, that so um, both the House Senate versions of drafts um do have this included. Um, and Swatha, that's for websites and mobile applications. Yes. So like, if you're um, let's say Delta has a website and an app um that both have, both have accessible and usable for people who are blind, the screen readers um, and um, other assistive technology. And that um, would be for searching for flights, booking for flights, checking in for flights, uh, basically the uh, everything that a, a customer would need to do uh, yeah, before so, and during their travels. Yeah. So all all, all customer customer facing um infrastructure infrastructure. So booking, checking in, finding, finding out gate gate info and delays and all that. So all that is accessible. That's, I know I've had the experience when, uh, and I, I won't name any airlines, but um, when getting the notification that I need to check in for my flight and I, I use the, 
the mobile website. I tried the application and I'm going through the process and I can't click the submit button to complete the check-in process. And I know that's not a unique experience. Yeah. And we also would like kiosks from the airlines to also have a successful for line book. So um, like if you go to the airport and you want to check in via the kiosk, check your bags via the kiosk, you can do that as well. So we want that as well. And Swatha, what about the, you, you touched on service animals. Um, Heather mentioned that currently there's the, um, the dreaded service animal attestation form that's not always accessible. Different airlines have different policies. Uh, what, what should our folks know about the FAA reauthorization and traveling by air with service animals? Yeah, so um, one, one, of the, one of the provisions that um, made it into the, um, the draft bill is that um, folks with service animals um, and evacuations um, on airlines. Um, so in the past, um, DOT or FAA have, have not considered how having a service dog or um, having a mobility device will would affect your would affect your ability to evacuate evacuate flight quickly and easily. Um, so what this bill would do? So what this person would do is um, charter a study and um, have a like, adult study um, have that convert 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 to rulemaking. So um, study would kind of consider the effects of disability and mobility aids and um, seat pitch and eye width um, and Service dogs um, on emergency ability to quickly quickly evacuate a flight or um, in, a, in, a, in emergencies. Another provision that um, helps save them, but helps save the final um, reopt bill is that um, there will be a pilot, pilot program for for certain service dog users to be exempt from the forms. So that'd be great for some of the travel frequently. Um, so, like, so these guys would have to apply for apply for the um program, um, and then they would, you know, there was a certain amount of time where they where they they'd be exempt from the form requirements. So that'd be great for members. Like, we've heard a lot as well that members don't like the don't like forms and don't find accessible. So. Yeah, we we hear a lot about these service animal attestation forms. Heather, I'm sure you do as well. Uh, Heather, just a little bit of background on the service animal attestation forms. Um, That came out of working groups kind of hosted or uh, facilitated by the Department of Transportation, what, uh, five, six years ago, correct? Yeah, back actually in 2016, uh, the Department of Transportation did a negotiated rulemaking on three different issues, one of which was um, access for service animals. And we didn't come to an agreement uh, working uh, with the airlines and other stakeholders. And so DOT, um, they took all that we discussed 
um, and the ideas that were batted around. And, and they came up with the regulation that, of course, is now final uh, that requires the documentation um, for all ser- service animal users uh, or it allows the airlines to use it. Airlines aren't required to use the form, but they're mm-hmm. just given the uh, they're, they're given DOT says it's OK if you use it. And of course, they all do. And and Heather, a lot of the the pushback that we get from uh, not necessarily pushback, but um, a lot of the emotion and expression that we get from uh, our members who are service dog handlers, as well as our affiliate guide dog users incorporated, is that under the under the Department of Justice and ADA rules, there's there's only two attestation questions that can be asked uh, of a service animal handler. And there's a lot of frustration that these DOT forms deviate from those two attestation questions. Is this similar to what you hear from PVA members? Yeah, I think, um, you know, we we had a big concern that because you mentioned, Clark, how the ADA works. And we had a big concern putting, you know, some type of attestation form in air travel uh, because we saw that could be a slippery slope um, that might try to work its way into other places um, that people go, you know, if, if, uh, you know, hospitals, for instance, decided, hey, if the airlines can, you know, they can do these forms, well, then we probably should have forms. And, you know, that there might be an effort to change the ADA to allow forms more places. So it's it's definitely been something that, you know, we've had strong concerns about. We don't think that, you know, people with disabilities are just like everybody else. They ought to be able to to come and go when they go into uh, restaurants and shops and um, airplanes. And if, if other people aren't required to present uh, some type of documentation, then, uh, you know, we don't want service animal users or, you know, wheelchair users or anybody else to be stopped just because they have a disability and, and they have, um, you know, uh, assistance um, in the form of a service animal that they should have to start showing a form because that can be, that would be very intrusive and very uh, frustrating. So it's definitely not something that we have supported um, and and really cautioned against. Yeah, and, and ACB was right there with PVA as part of those working groups in in 2016 uh, regarding this issue. Another issue that was discussed as part of those working groups was uh, the accessibility of in-flight entertainment and onboard messages. Will the FAA reauthorization make uh, plain announcements or communications and in-flight entertainment more accessible? So in terms of the in-flight entertainment, there is a provision that's been added to the House FAA bill that would require DOT uh, to put out the negotiated in-flight entertainment rule from 2016. Um, We're hopeful that that will kickstart, you know, that particular effort um, and, you know, there, there are some other provisions, uh, you know, that look at accessibility uh, within communications to websites, as we've already talked about, and, and mm-hmm. apps. Um, so, you know, we'll have to see once all of the, the provisions get in and what's, what's included, what's not. But we were able to, to get at least um, on the, the House side and hopefully on the Senate side a requirement to finally put out that in-flight entertainment rule. 
and, and that's great. I mean, a lot has changed in the um, communications and technology landscape since 2016. Um, United now has uh, accessible user interfaces with the Google TalkBack screen reader in their seatback displays. Uh, so many more streaming services are providing multiple languages for closed captioning and audio description for 100% of their original content. So we know that this can be done. It just needs to be required in the uh, the air travel entertainment space as well, whether those are the, the displays included in the seatbacks um, or as part of the um, the passenger cabin, or if if this is accessed through an app, uh, you know, through a personal device in an airline smartphone application as part of your in-flight entertainment over Wi-Fi. Um, the technology exists, the accessibility tools exist. So let's make it happen. Well, and uh, that wouldn't just that wouldn't just extend to um, just entertainment entertainment right I would extend more to um announcements as well Heather so that's an area that um you know is is still I think a little bit in flux um and you know I'm not sure how that is I know that was an area that in the negotiated rulemaking uh we didn't quite get um accomplished you know they ran out of time uh we did get a, a requirement um that at least as it relates to visual and tactilely accessible announcements, um, that that the ACAA advisory committee, which would also be re- reconstituted um, under the the both the House and Senate versions of the FAA bill, um, would take another look at that and look at the technical solutions and the feasibility because. As you pointed out, you know, a lot has changed Um, since 2016. We know there have been a lot of technology advances, um, new opportunities. Um, So we're hopeful that we will be able to uh, take another look at that issue, uh, because I think as someone who does not, um, you know, does not have hearing loss, I can just say that for myself, trying to understand announcements from the cabin or even I was trying to watch my in-flight entertainment and because of the noise in the aircraft you really just a lot of times cannot hear even when it's voiced so having the ability to read it um, or have it uh, you know make sure it's coming in a way that's um, accessible to people so that they can actually hear what's being said it's one of those things like with a lot of disability access it would actually help probably every customer to have that. That's a great point. I don't even know if that exists today when they're doing the the in-flight or even like the the pre-takeoff announcements. I mean, how easy would that be just to put a, a caption scroll on the screens within the cabin? Uh, I imagine a lot of folks would benefit from that, whether they are parents with small children, uh, folks uh, like <laughs> like my mother-in-law or my parents who are getting older, but don't uh, aren't convinced that they have any hearing loss. I, I agree with you, Heather. I think that that would be beneficial for, for so many people. Yeah, we're, we're hopeful that that will, um, you know, there will be opportunities to continue to address 
um, you know, those particular issues. And, you know, as these bills continue to make their way forward and, um, you know, we see if there are gaps, you know, there may be other opportunities to uh, try to put in amendments or, uh, you know, even just continue to work with the airlines on these issues. Um, uh, you know, just because, again, I know I've had to look at my seatmate many times and say, what did they just say? Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, I, you know, I think it's something that hopefully they would see that a lot of customers uh, would prefer to have better access to communications. And Heather, we realize that this is a rapidly evolving landscape for what provisions are in and what provisions are out of the FAA reauthorization. Um, But do you know of or does PVA have uh, resources that individuals or organizations can access for, I don't want to say real time, but as current as possible uh, information on uh, what it what will be included in the FAA reauthorization? So um, we are our materials, as you mentioned, things are moving very fast right now. We don't have um, um, our our sites updated just yet, but we will be working on our. Um, we have our PVA Action Force, which anybody can join. It's our grassroots um, uh, portal on our website pva.org. We will be updating that with. Um, you know, the latest information for um, for advocates. We also have our um, air travel site, pva.org forward slash air travel, um, that includes a lot of different resources um, for people um, who have, um, you know, who might be encountering, uh, you know, whether it's issues with travel or quite frankly, maybe they haven't flown uh, for a while and they just want to check um, check out their options. We have information about the Bill of Rights, um, and other opportunities, particularly uh, for, you know, for wheelchair users, things that they may want to consider as they're planning their trip. And Heather, you mentioned the action group. Um, how else can folks get involved and stay involved, make sure these things stay in the Rialto Bells? So really, um, I would encourage folks to um, to connect with the advocacy groups they're working with, like the, the great work you're doing with ACB, um, and in any other groups people might be a part of. Um, and uh, like I said, our action force is really the best way, um, you know, that that uh, the general advocate can connect with us. Um, and, you know, we, we definitely want folks to be aware. We want them to be able to advocate. And then once we know, uh, you know, what's going to what's going to be out there, what's going to be law, um, we'll definitely want we'll definitely, you know, be putting out information so folks know, uh, you know, what their rights are, what 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 may be changing in the future, um, because, you know, improving access to air travel for all people with disabilities is, is just one of our top priorities. And Heather, thank you so much for your leadership on this issue, as well as the the leadership of PVA. I know all of us in the the disability space juggle multiple issues, and we're we're thankful to have a partner like PVA um, that's able to to really lean in and lead the charge on making air travel uh, more accessible. But this is only one of your priorities. Are there <laughs> are there other issues? Um, that that PVA is working on, or if folks have questions about the work of PVA, uh, how can they find out more information? 
So uh, as you as you stated, we do have a, a lot of different issues we work on. I, again, our website um, is the best place to get information, pba.org. We focus on um, another area we're working on, it, you know, just transportation broadly is continues to be a problem for our members. We're weighing in on issues related to autonomous vehicles, electric vehicles, and charging station accessibility. Um, we're looking at hotels, which even the accessible rooms uh, can tend to be not accessible for wheelchair users. Um, we're also looking at issues related to, you know, increasing employment opportunities. Uh, caregiver issues um, are really big in our community. So looking at uh, the work that's being done with the National Caregiver Strategy. And then, of course, on the side of, uh, you know, for any veterans we may have in the audience, we have a whole raft of priorities related to the Department of Veterans Affairs. Um, one of our top priorities over there is, is pretty similar to a lot of the disability community, but it's, you know, improving access to, um, you know, home and community-based services. Uh, particularly, we have a, the, the veteran population as a whole is, is an older population. Um, and thankfully, people who have the greatest support needs, um, they didn't they didn't used to get to live to be old. Unfortunately, their lifespans were shortened. But now because of advances in medicines and uh, other supports, people now are not they're they're disabled. And now they're also aging into disabilities. So um, we're trying to make sure that those supports are available and uh, so that people can live the, you know, the rich, full lives, independent lives that they want to live and that they they have earned the right to be able to live. So um, lots of different priorities that we're working on, but those are just some of the highlights. And that's great. And I hear you talk about the the members and the work of PVA. And I, I can't help but think how uh, similar and analogous it is to the work we do on behalf of our ACB members. And uh, certainly our visually impaired veterans or VIVA affiliate within ACB uh, is, is active on advocating on behalf of uh, you know, veterans with visual impairments, along with the Blinded Veterans Association. I'm so glad to have a, another ally in this space and air travel, air travel, air travel. Um, my, how it, it impacts the lives of everyone with a disability, whether you are blind, low vision, deafblind, a cane user, or a service uh, animal handler. And I, I know our GDUI affiliate will be bringing a resolution to our convention this summer. And Swatha, how about another shameless ACB convention plug before we sign out here? Let's do it. Registration, registration, registration closes on this Friday, the 16th. Um, get your um, registration in, sign up for all the tours and all the fun stuff. Um, and the room block um, could be open for until Friday afternoon as well. Um, call on Jana or contact Jana Dickelman for um, to get a room if you can, if you want to. Again, no no promises on that room block. We are past the the posted deadline, but yes, registration is still open until June sixteenth. Otherwise, there will be on site uh, re registration. The price will go up though, so might as well register now. Uh, when you are on site in Schaumburg, Illinois. We hope that everyone can join us virtually as well as in person for the 2023 ACB Annual Conference and Convention. Uh, but again, 
Heather Ainsley from Paralyzed Veterans of America, PVA, thank you so much for your time and expertise as it relates to uh, air travel for people with disabilities and the, the latest and greatest on the Federal Aviation Administration reauthorization that is moving through the House and Senate as we speak. Well, thank you, Clark um, and Swatha, for the opportunity to be um, with you all. I really appreciate it. And thank you to everyone who tuned in for this episode of the ACB Advocacy Update. If you have any advocacy questions or concerns, maybe it's related to air travel. Maybe it's an inaccessible booking or check-in process, or you didn't receive service um, in a timely manner at an airport, or you got denied travel uh, while traveling with a service animal. ACB wants to hear about it. So please email Swatha and me at advocacy at acb.org. And we will continue working with our partners like PVA to make air travel more accessible for everyone. And we hope that you will join us um, in this mission. And hopefully we will all keep advocating. Thanks for listening to the ACB Advocacy Update. You can reach us by emailing advocacy at acb.org. The ACB Advocacy Update is a production of the American Council of the Blind in Alexandria, Virginia. To learn more about ACB, visit us online at www.acb.org.